Hi, WorkWell listeners. I'm really excited to share that my book, Work Better Together, is officially out. Conversations with WorkWell guests and feedback from listeners like you inspired this book. It's all about how to create a more human-centered workplace. And as we return to the office for many of us, this book can help you move forward into post-pandemic life with strategies and tools to strengthen your relationships and focus on your well-being. It's available now from your favorite book retailer. Listening is something we all naturally do, but there's a difference in listening to hear what someone is saying and listening to really understand someone. Actively listening with empathy is critical to building authentic connections in our personal and professional lives. Fortunately, it's a skill we can all learn and practice on a daily basis. This is the WorkWell podcast series. Hi, I'm Jen Fisher, Chief Wellbeing Officer for Deloitte, and I'm so pleased to be here with you today to talk about all things well-being. I'm here with Jimena Vanguachea. She's a user researcher, writer, and illustrator whose work on personal and professional development has been published in Inc., The Washington Post, Newsweek, Huffington Post, and more. She's also the author of the book, Listen Like You Mean It, Reclaiming the Lost Art of True Connection. Jimena, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So tell us, tell us about you. Tell us your story. Tell us your journey. We want to get to know you. Sure. So my background is in user experience research, which is a little known role in the tech industry, but <laughs> essentially my job is to understand users, um, what they think, what their motivations are, what their needs are in order to help build better products. Um, I had no idea this role existed when I was in school, had never heard of it, uh, didn't know, you know, what it entailed. But when I discovered it, felt like it was a really good fit for some of my interests, which are, you know, being really curious about other people's stories and getting to know them. Um, and I loved having an excuse to do just that. And in that role, one of the key skills that a user researcher has, particularly if you work on the qualitative side, which is my specialty, is listening. So we're often having conversations with complete strangers, maybe 45 minutes, 60 minutes, often at most. And so you have to really learn how to quickly get into a conversation and understand the other person um, and what they're all about. And so a funny thing started happening to me while I was doing these sessions and really building these skill sets, which is that I realized how much of this core skill set of listening was actually helping me in my everyday world. So, you know, usually you're doing these conversations in a lab setting, um, no white coats, but there is a lab with, you know, a one-way mirror, um, that kind of thing. And the more I did them, the more I realized I was kind of using the skill outside of just that setting and felt like I was just connecting far more with other people and just kind of seeing the bigger picture a little bit quicker, you know, in things like meetings and things like that. Um, and so that really is part of what led me to writing my book, Listen Like You Mean It, which is all about listening and how we can leverage it to build better relationships. This is a topic that just fascinates me because my husband tells me regularly that I listen to respond. I don't mm. listen to understand. <laughs> so, but I also feel like, I mean, the the connection between user experience and technology, like what? what is the impact that it's had on our ability to be good listeners? 
Sure. I mean, technology is changing a lot all the time. Um, I think, you know, when you think back to 10 years ago, not everyone had a, a mobile phone, a smartphone um, in their pockets. And now, you know, I think we'd have to look pretty hard, uh, most of us, to, to find someone who's not in that camp. Um, I think that technology has in many ways made it more difficult to have yeah. those deep, meaningful conversations, in part because, you know, it's a brilliant tool, but it can also come with all these other distractions. And so there's research that shows that even having a phone in your line of sight during a conversation, even if it's turned over, which I think many of us think, you know, as a sign of respect, I will turn my phone over, but it's <laughs> still there. Um, even just that reduces our capacity to empathize with the other person. Um, so that's a that's a pretty big deal. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's kind of disrupting an otherwise very human process. Um, that being said, you know, I'm certainly not in the camp of uh, technology as a cause of all of our problems. I think right. that in many cases, it has exacerbated um, really human issues, which are, you know, uh, we all have a really deep desire and need to be heard. Um, and in the process of wanting to be heard, we can actually talk over the other person or be stuck on our own internal monologue or be unaware of the cues because we're concentrating so hard on that. And it's not necessarily deliberate. Um, and so we think that technology has, you know, made that harder in some ways, um, but certainly isn't the cause of it. Yeah. So, so what about like people, is it true that like some people are just naturally good listeners or better listeners than others? Um, and, or is it like, is it innate or is it a skill that you can develop? I would say it's both. I think that we often think of people as being naturally good listeners or, or naturally poor listeners. And so there's maybe a subset of us who, who have kind of already written off, you know, <laughs> our ability to listen, like, oh, that's just not something I'm good at. Um, I'm not like so-and-so, you know, that one colleague or that one friend who is an excellent listener. Um, and I think there likely is, you know, a core um, proclivity that some people have where they naturally are better listeners, but that doesn't mean it can't be learned. And I think when you look at fields like user research or journalism and reporting or being a therapist, um, those are all careers that really rely on listening mm -hmm. as part of the profession. And there are some very clear tactics and techniques um, that you can take up in your conversations and really begin to hone that. So I think of listening as, you know, maybe some of us have a, a better starting point than others, but it's sort of, it's like a muscle that you have to learn how to use it effectively and strengthen it so that it doesn't atrophy. So let's talk about what some of those like tactical strategies are. I know in your book, you talk about a listening mindset. So can you explain what that is? And then also talk to us about what some of those strategies are that we can develop our, our listening muscle. And I'll try them out on my husband, I promise. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, perfect. Um, so a listening mindset, um, you know, I think that when we are going into conversation, usually we're not really thinking about it very hard. We sort of just show up and, and listen to the degree that we're capable of in that moment without being particularly deliberate about it. And what happens when you do that is that you do catch some of what's being said. Um, maybe you catch the literal uh, words that are being said. You know, you're catching enough to nod and smile, to be polite, to not lose your job, right? You're not so far off um, <laughs> the mark um, 
it's a good starting point, but I think we often stop there um, and we miss the subtext. We miss what's not being said. We miss the hidden meaning, meaning that if we focused a little bit more, we could be in tune to. And we miss the emotional experience that the other person is having. And so when I say we need to cultivate and bring in a listening mindset, what I really mean is that we're being intentional as we enter conversation. And specifically, we're bringing three qualities in, which are humility, curiosity, and empathy. And these are important because we're not Again, we're not always intentional about bringing those in. Um, And so with humility, you're really coming in from the position of a student as opposed to an expert or a teacher. Mm. And this can be hard (laughs) because we have these preconceived notions, assumptions, opinions, expertise, whatever it may be that we're often bringing into conversation. And it can cloud what we're able to hear. So we really want to keep an open mind Um, and be ready to learn from the other person. Even if maybe we are a subject matter expert, let's say, we can still learn from the other person their relationship to that topic. Why are they bringing up this topic? Why are they bringing it to me? Um, What does this tell me about them as a person? The second piece is to bring in curiosity. So once we've got that kind of open playing field by bringing humility, then we can go deeper in conversation. And I think that there's a little bit of a a misconception that especially when we're meeting new people um, or building relationships, that the key to uh, building those relationships is to appear interesting, you know, to tell the great story at a cocktail party, um, to kind of puff ourselves up a little bit um, in order to keep the other person interested and engaged. And actually what the research shows is that it's less important to be interesting and more important to be interested in the other person. Mm. And a great way to do that is by expressing curiosity. So it's really about turning the focus on them and understanding who they are, what what they're bringing to the table. Um, And I think sometimes we get in our own way uh, when we have a lot of knowledge on a given topic. We think, okay, I, I know all of this already. But you can always ask, well, what else can I learn here? Like, what what else is happening here? Um, and I think that can be particularly useful when, for example, it's a topic that you're not drawn to. We all have these. It could be sports for one person. It could be finance for another person. There's always that topic that you just kind of automatically, you know, your brain kind of clicks off a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so especially in those cases, If you can find the edges of there's something interesting there, particularly if you relate it to the person. So maybe you don't like sports, but the person who you're talking to, why are they so passionate about sports? Is this tied to their childhood? Is this tied to their culture? Like, what can you learn about the person through that topic is a great way to continue to stay curious, even when it's maybe not a topic that you would ever choose for yourself to be talking about. And then the third element is really empathy. So we're going deeper and deeper. We're starting open. We're getting a little bit about the person. And then we want to get to this place of empathy where we can really understand someone's emotional experience and relate to it in some way. And empathy doesn't mean that I have to have experienced the same thing. So it doesn't mean that if someone is sharing a personal story about, let's say a divorce or, you know, a toxic workplace relationship, and I haven't experienced that, that I can't empathize with them. It's really about kind of removing the scaffolding of the specific situation and finding the emotion underlying it. 
So is there grief? Well, I know what grief feels like. Is there shock? I know what that feels like. Is there betrayal, right? And so it's really tuning into those underlying emotions and connecting at that level. So as I'm listening to you, I'm, I'm kind of reflecting on, is there, is there a difference, you know, kind of in, in the world that we've been living in, um, where we've been a lot less in person? So like, are, are there differences? Are there nuances? What does this look like or feel like when you're in person versus on a phone versus on video with somebody? Yeah, absolutely. There are some differences. I think in terms of that listening mindset, you still want to bring those in no matter you know what channel you're speaking to someone on. Um, the difference, I think, is in what other cues you can get about the other person. So for example, if I'm face-to-face, I have much more context in terms of body language, nonverbals, um, you know, one of my favorite body language tidbits is where are the person's feet pointing? Are they pointing toward the door? Even if, you know, their shoulders, their torso is toward me, um, that can be an indication that they want to exit the conversation, even if they're not saying anything. <laughs> um, start looking at people's feet now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> feet are some of the most honest part of the body. Um, so, you know, we, we get so much when we're in person. And as you move to video, usually what happens is you get shoulders up, Um, you know, maybe you get a little bit of hand talkers, you know, who are bringing their hands above the camera. Um, but you do lose a lot. However, you still have things like voice and tone. What is the pitch? What is the pacing? And specifically, you really want to listen for, um, when is there a change? So if someone is usually a deliberate talker, um, and then suddenly kind of speeds up and starts talking really quickly, that's a sign that something has shifted, or the reverse may be true. So you still have those cues. Um, And even if you remove the video aspect and uh, are just on the phone, I think we can all relate to the feeling of hearing someone smile through a phone, right? Um, So there's plenty that you can still pick up on. Um, It just is a matter of kind of remove, you're kind of stripping things away, uh, obviously, the the less visual information you have. And so I think what that means in terms of listening in this environment in particular, is being really strategic about when you need what kind of information. So maybe there are situations, there are topics, there are certain kinds of discussions, where you really want all of those cues in order to inform your understanding. And maybe there are others where it's not necessary. And in fact, maybe it's helpful to have fewer cues. So for example, um, being on the phone, taking a walking meeting, um, that can be really, really helpful, particularly for difficult conversations where maybe it feels adversarial to stare someone down through your webcam. Um, (laughs) Maybe it's really helpful to just remove that element and allow each party to walk freely in their own neighborhood at their own leisure um, and generate an open conversation in that way, because we know that changing environments, adding movement, all of those things help us to have more open conversations. Um, so I think when we're thinking about listening across these different, you know, remote or in-person or hybrid environments, one of the best things we can do is rather than think about what we lose, think about what what do I really need from this conversation, and then pick the channel that will help you gain the most information. Got it. That's super helpful. So one of the other things that you talk about is 
the importance of questions. <laughs> and this is something that I, I'm really passionate about and I think is so key because, you know, especially in the current environment, you know, moving past the kind of typical, how are you, I feel like, or how's it going, or how was your weekend? I feel like in the business world in particular, we, you know, we tend to just say, oh, great, fine, you know, all good, um, and, and move on to the business at hand. But really, how do we kind of develop the skill or think about asking people more meaningful questions. One I like to use is how are you sleeping? Because it's just not a typical, it's not a typical question that people get asked. So they kind of stop in their tracks and they're like, why is she wondering why I'm sleeping? Um, and then, and then it creates a more meaningful dialogue. So can you talk to me about how we can ask better questions or questions that kind of lead to a deeper conversation or a deeper connection with others? Yes, asking the right questions can radically change the nature of our conversations. And I love the question that you mentioned, because it is surprising and so somewhat disarming. But it also gives you a lot of information, because we know how essential sleep is to someone's overall well being. So it is a really effective way of getting at that bigger question um, that I think many of us kind of think we're asking sometimes when we ask, how are you, but we sort of miss. Um, so I love taking a, a sort of fresh approach. That's great. I think another thing that you can do is be cognizant of how you're starting your questions. Um, so there are certain kinds of questions that we're not doing it on purpose, but we may be inadvertently leading someone toward a, a particular answer. We may be biasing in them some in some way. So if I ask someone, for example, um, hey, are you nervous about tomorrow's presentation? Um, even if I don't mean it, I have inadvertently baked in the seed of an idea that perhaps there is a reason that you should be nervous about tomorrow's presentation. Mm. Um, a better way to ask that question might be just to say, hey, how do you feel about tomorrow's presentation? That allows the other person to say, I'm really nervous about it, or I feel great about it, like I'm so pumped. Um, that's very different, right? Because we're opening it up as opposed to my starting from a place of, I'm going to put the idea of nervousness on the map from the get-go. So thinking about how you're starting your questions, um, avoiding questions that start with are, do, um, or is, those tend to be more close-ended. They can be answered often in a yes or no response or other single word answer and really gravitating more towards how and what questions. Um, why can be effective for opening up a conversation. However, it can sound a little bit intense to our ears. It can sound like an interrogation, you know, oh, why do you feel that way? Ooh, uh, sorry, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to feel that way, right? Um, so why I would say should be used sparingly. Um, and the other thing that you could do is to ask small follow-ups. These are kind of gentle nudges. So you're opening the conversation first with your how and what questions. And then you're taking it a little bit deeper with these small nudges that sound like, oh, say more about that. Tell me more. What else? Um, or one that I really like is to say, because, and give the other person a pause. So, you know, if someone says, oh, well, I think it's going to be impossible to do X, Y, Z, so I'm not even going to try, you know, for this project, then I might just say, oh, and, and you feel that way because, or that's because, and wait. And then I might mm -hmm. hear, well, because, you know, we don't have the resources for it, or because, uh, you know, this person hasn't prioritized X, Y, Z. Um, so you're just 
giving them a little more space to continue the conversation. I really like that a lot. What about those people that are, you know, kind of known to be good listeners, right? And they're the person that everybody in their life, whether it be family, friends, colleagues, they they come to that person when they have a problem and want to talk about it because that person's, you know, in their mind, a good listener. But, you know, being that person can be pretty emotionally draining. And so as someone who is a good listener or someone that somebody comes to a lot, that people come to a lot, how do you listen, but not necessarily, I guess, take on other people's problems? Absolutely. This is a great question. And I think, you know, as with any skill, there's, it's sort of a blessing and a curse. Right. <laughs> um, and so you have to really learn how to manage it so that it works for you, not just for, for those in your life. Um, I think a big part of it is knowing your limits and setting boundaries that um, really honor those limits. And so that might mean um, thinking about well, how many of these sort of deep one-on-one conversations can I have a day? Uh, for some people, that's going to be four. For some people, that's going to be one. Um, but whatever that number is, which you may have to discover through a little bit of trial and error and maybe pushing yourself too far um, and reeling it back in, it's really about finding that magic number and trying to stick to it. So trying to design your day in a way that honors that boundary, that limit. Um, I think also baking in breaks in between conversations is helpful. I know that there are many people who feel that they're kind of a a victim of their own calendar, you know, at the mercy of their own calendar. (laughs) And you just have back to back to back to back. And I get it. I've I've managed teams before and it's tough. Um, But if you can bake in a few minutes break in between these sessions, that's going to go a long way to not overdoing it and not succumbing to what I call listener's drain, where you just are exhausted um, by creating space for other people for, for so much of your day. That break can be, you know, 30 minutes. It can also be 90 seconds if that's all you got. Um, that's okay. Even a micro meditation of just closing your eyes, breathing in, breathing out, coming back to present, releasing what you just heard in the previous conversation. So mantras can be really helpful. So saying something like, this isn't mine to keep, this doesn't belong to me, um, and letting it go so that you don't carry that uh, emotional burden into uh, your next conversation can be very useful. Let's talk about the workplace a little, but I mean, I guess maybe more generally, but um, you know, when you're trying to have a difficult conversation with somebody and, you know, maybe I'm thinking work setting, right? So if you have a teammate that's struggling with their work or, you know, you need to have kind of a difficult conversation with somebody, what, what advice do you have for handling those kinds of conversations? Is it, is there something different that we should be thinking about? Um, Is there a certain way to approach those conversations? I think you've already given a whole bunch of tips, like don't do it on a day when you're back to back to back to back with all kinds of other conversations, right? (laughs) Um, But are are there things that we should be thinking about when we're going into a difficult conversation at work, but really at at any point in our life? Yeah, I mean, I think something underrated that you can do is to think about the environment in which you're going to have this conversation. Um, So this may sound obvious, but I think we don't always think about these things of, you know, maybe if I'm having a really personal conversation with someone, if I'm not sure what their response is going to be, um, 
maybe I should think about what environment is going to feel safe, um, especially if I'm asking someone to be vulnerable or if I'm going to be vulnerable. Um, so is does it make sense to have a performance review conversation in a busy sort of cafeteria style environment? I understand sometimes those are the only quote unquote rooms available, but <laughs> does that really make sense? Is that is that really going to help you or is it going to hurt you? Um, you want the setting to be almost, you can think of it as a tool in service of getting through this difficult conversation. So for some people, you know, having a crowded environment can help. For other people, it really does need to be more private and quieter. Um, there's a there's a delicate balance of, of you know, going too quiet where it feels a little bit stressful to even break the silence. Um, but I think just giving a little bit of attention to the environment is one thing. The other thing I would say is just coming into it and being really explicit about this with the intention of understanding rather than convincing or debating or winning someone over. Um, I often at the root of some of these difficult conversations is that we have a very strong belief that we're bringing in um, or an emotional attachment on some level to what's being said, whether we are the speaker or the listener receiving that message. Um, and so I think it can be helpful to just say upfront, what is your intention? So if it's a performance review conversation um, saying, you know, we're going to talk about how you're performing um, and acknowledging. Sometimes these conversations feel a little bit awkward. I totally get that. Um, or even sharing, you know, I've struggled with these conversations in the past, whatever you can do to set the intention that you're on the same team, even though this is a difficult topic, um, and that you're human too, I think, especially if you're in a position of power, can really help neutralize things. And then the last thing I'll say is, if as you're going through this conversation, because it is wonderful to, you know, start things off on the right foot and really have that intention, but things can go awry in conversation. We're humans. So if as you're going through this conversation, you realize that you or the other person is emotionally activated in some way, then it's absolutely okay to hit pause. And I think we often don't give ourselves permission to do that. But if you're sensing, for example, in your body, oh, you know what? My throat is starting to tighten up a little bit. My chest is really, my, my heart is beating really quickly right now. My chest is tight. Um, if you're tuning into those cues, or if you're noticing that the other person is, for example, no longer making eye contact, or kind of shrinking in their seat where before they weren't, like something is happening, and you can kind of feel the energy shifting in the, in, in the room, um, it's absolutely okay to hit pause and to take a break. And you can say, um, you know, this conversation is really important to me. I'm noticing I'm having a strong reaction to what's being said. Would it be okay if we took a five-minute breather? Most people are going to be very amenable to that. Um, and you don't have to necessarily even share why. You know, maybe you have that trust in place where you can say, ooh, this is really, you know, I'm feeling like super emotionally activated. Maybe that's not there. Um even just saying, hey, is it all right if we take a quick bio break? Again, <laughs> most people are not going to police that and they're going to say, all right, maybe not the best timing, but sure. Um, and that gives everybody just a few minutes or maybe you need longer and that's okay too. But it gives everyone a moment to just take a beat, breathe, notice what's happening and notice what emotions are being activated um, and return to center and continue the conversation. Yeah, I mean, I love that. And I, I would 
kind of think that chances are if if you're feeling emotionally activated and it's a difficult conversation, perhaps maybe other people or other person might be grateful for the little break as well. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> to regroup themselves. So that's right. Um, so let's switch gears a little bit from the workplace to parents and parenting. Um, you know, are there any tips for helping your kids become more empathetic listeners or better listeners? I think that one of the best things that you can do is to model the behavior Um, Mm -hmm. that tends to work better and is more effective than, you know, simply telling your child what to do. I think we probably all and any parent has an example of, oh, that failed miserably when I just gave (laughs) the straight advice. Um, But I think modeling the behavior is is crucial and particularly think about doing that in your relationship with your child. Um, and that can be really useful, especially um, when kids maybe don't have the vocabulary to really articulate what they're feeling or thinking. You as the adult, you do have that vocabulary. And so you can bring that listening mindset in that we talked about earlier and then add a step where you're not just understanding your child, but you're also reflecting back what you're hearing, um, which can be very validating. And so you can you know, see and observe and have that conversation and say, oh, it sounds like you're really upset about, you know, it, the rain because it's thrown off your play date and, and that's really disappointing to you or, or whatever it may be. Um, I think that can be hugely helpful to, ha- to feel heard in that way as, as a child and also to have that vocabulary because sometimes they don't, you know, they feel upset, but they don't know why they feel upset. Um, and that's a great and simple way of beginning to model that behavior in that relationship. All right. Um, my last and final question for you. This is this this has given me a ton to think about, <laughs> and and I and I probably would be a better listener if it wasn't all rolling around in my brain right now. <laughs> so so what is you know when when you kind of think about your book and the purpose for writing the book, what 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 is the most important takeaway that you want people to remember after reading it or the the kind of few nuggets if there's not one single one? I think the biggest thing that I would say is to understand that listening is as much about you as it is the other person. Um, mm-hmm. And that it's important to have self-awareness around your listening and what you're bringing into conversation. I think we often think of listening as, you know, something we do for someone else and we're just there to receive it. Um, but so much of how effective we are as listeners has to do with, am I cranky that day? Did I get enough sleep? Um, am I feeling right. emotionally exhausted because I've been receiving a lot of heavy news today? Um, Am I distracted by my phone? Right. All of those things. Um, Do I tend to hear things from the perspective of a problem solver? Like I'm always ready to give advice, even if that's not what's needed. If we can bring awareness to those things, it is going to make us much, much more effective listeners. And so that would be my message is it's absolutely doable to improve your listening skills. And it really has to start with understanding yourself and what you're bringing into conversation. Okay. I feel like I have a lot of work to do now that we've had this discussion. So that's a good thing though. I'm looking forward to improving my listening skills. <laughs> well, thank you, Jimena, for, for this conversation, for all of the, the rich uh, guidance and wisdom that you have given to me and to, to all of our listeners. I've really enjoyed talking with you today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. 
I'm so grateful Jimena could be with us today to talk about her story and the important skill of listening. Thank you to our producers, Rivet360, and our listeners. You can find the WorkWell podcast series on Deloitte.com, or you can visit various podcatchers using the keyword WorkWell, all one word, to hear more. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe so you get all of our future episodes. If you have a topic you'd like to hear on the WorkWell podcast series, or maybe a story you would like to share, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. My profile is under the name Jen Fisher, or on Twitter at JenFish23. We're always open to your recommendations and feedback. And of course, if you like what you hear, please share, post, and like this podcast. Thank you and be well.